everybody, this is Eric Frankhouse from EFP. We're doing episode 21 today about designing a setting. With all the questions I've had about how I do it and what I do to come up with new worlds, I figured maybe I should put this on the podcast. So I'm going to go through this in brief, easy to digest pieces, five steps. And these are like not the end all be all guys. I don't think this is the only way to design a setting. This is just how I went through designing my recent setting in the span of maybe two and a half days ready to start playtesting it. And then obviously a lot of iterations afterwards. So we're going to start with how I start. Important hooks, maps and modification, outline, and mechanics and system. So let's dive into this. All right, so let's talk about how to start. For me, I pick a theme or an IP. You can easily pick any IP you want. If you're a person who reads books and there's an RPG for it and you want to make it, do it. You're not selling this. It's for you and your friends. For me, I pick a theme. And I knew that we started playing 5e and I didn't like that magic wasn't as prominent as I hope. Hell, you can't even buy magical items like you used to. And that's something my group was very familiar with. And my other setting is not magic light, but definitely on a different side of magic. So I wanted to ramp this up. So my theme was, I want high magic, and I need to do something different with it. So I started small, and that's my next thing I'd tell you to do. Start small. I knew two kingdoms warring over ages, like 10 ages. Age, I think, is like 1,000 or 2,000 years. I did go back and look at my notes. Um, and I knew I wanted those ages to be the progression of magic creating these monsters. that, that have They're pitting against each other for war. So I did small map, and we'll get into maps later. But I started small. And then I did my broad strokes, kind of painting the picture of what I want. Well, I know I want these two kingdoms not to get along. I don't think they remember why they don't anymore. We'll just get rid of that. Um, one's not good or bad. They're just different. One licensed magic, because I want a magic to be like where the players usually start in Uderak. They're um, licensed, and you're part of a court, and that court is family blood that is really good and shows promise in certain schools of magic. And the Imperia, the opposite side... They don't do it that way. It's about power and who's the best at what they do, and they hold stature because of that. So instead of joining like a school, uh, you join groups of people, circles, that train in this magic, and they're very powerful. And only so many people are allowed in the circle at a time. And then everybody else learns from them and buys from them. A very different style of, of uh, monarchy than the other version. So I knew I wanted those. Um, I knew I wanted the fields in between to be war-torn and constantly changing from the magics that flow down and hit from the two kingdoms warring. I knew I wanted forests to feel very different since you don't have your traditional people anymore. And I was like, what else can I do to do something interesting? How do I make monsters pivotal in this world? So I'm going to talk about renewing an old theme. I love bestiaries. I love monster manuals. I love creatures. And they get used a lot, but they just get used as things that live in a dungeon, and you fight them and continue on. I needed something more than that. So how did I come up with that? Well, I decided through the ages, the magic that had been being used to go to war, these two kingdoms were creating monsters and sending them to fight each other. And that went really well for a while. The battles waged until the city of Quartz, Uderak, the kingdom of Uderak, decided that they did not to do this anymore because one day magics were being cast on these monsters in the battlefield and the spell was twisting and warping back 
and affecting them. And people started getting marks. And marks are things that you can't easily shrug off. The more powerful the creature, the more powerful the mark. And you will eventually turn into that monster. And this is how monsters were upping their game, increasing the amount of people that they had as monsters to break free from these kingdoms. So the city of Quartz was like, shit, we can't do this anymore. And then I wanted the Imperia to continue down that path, but look for new ways to do it. And that's how I came up with the renewing an old trope. To me, renewing an old trope does this. It takes something that people expect and you put it on, it, on its end, on, on end and make it something better, something unique, something that is hooked to your world. There's a lot of ways to do this. Let's just talk. We've been talking about magic. I won't go outside of that. I'll keep us in that spectrum. Ari Salvatore wrote a, a novel series where all the magic was done through holding a stone and those stones gave power and they could cast using that stone while it was in their hands. So they carried these gemstones and rocks with them and that's how they cast it and they're almost monist, monistic and monk-like. So think about taking the trope of magic or fighting or war or religion and turning it on its head and making it unique to the setting you want to develop. But remember, you don't need to develop it all right away. So with that said, Let's get in the idea of important hooks. All right. Important hooks. What, what are important hooks? So for me, think about what sets your IP apart. If you're using a pre-established or designing your own, what makes that IP feel unique? Uh, Game of Thrones, is it the warring people over the, the throne? Is it going to be something along the lines of Star Wars, where you have fantasy and sci-fi and space? What are the important things to your IP. And those things need to be written down because those are the things that are going to get developed the furthest um, in the beginning because this is what you're going to present at the table. For me, it was, I know that when wizards cast spells on monsters, there's a chance it spins back and hits them. And I had to design how that was going to function without it being too powerful. I went through many iterations from striking them, their blood can do it, and I was like, ah, that's pretty arbitrary. I'm like, I want this magical and it ended up being any time that a monster makes it save against a spell on them, it spins back and marks you. Well, I don't want them just automatically change because of that, because that's not fair to the player. Instead, you stack marks till you get to a certain point. When you rest that night, the magic either releases from you and un unbinds and unweaves, or you make your save, and if you fail, you gain a mark of that creature. And you have to save, you know, every time. And when you get enough marks, you may turn into that creature. So I knew I needed rules for that. And how am I going to handle them? When do they turn? It's like, well, it should be their constitution. How much they're willing to, how much their ability to suck this up exists. So I developed that. The next thing to do is make it fun, not punishing. Darkest Dungeon and Dark Souls are fantastic games. I mean, really, really good games. But I don't want to play that all the time. That doesn't tell a good story. It is a good mechanic to make you go back and play levels and continue. There are games that do this. There are like the DCC funnels where you're making zero-level guys and going on and die. And I think there's a time and a place for it. But for your at-home setting, don't make it punish them. So I had to make sure that this being a mark didn't punish them. Well, I made this simple. For example, it allowed me to use it to gauge, let, let players gauge danger. So if something's too powerful, they're getting marked, they know that, oh man, maybe we should not be doing this right now. It's a good way for me to keep them away from my abolis and pull holders, trying to gain marks to turn into them. I also knew that if you turned into something that was a higher CR than your level, you become a monster. If you turn into it and it's a lower CR than you, you gain those marks and you become it. 
And the idea was to let players play these marked creatures and really let them get into being something you normally don't get to play. I also decided that all the normal races in the book are also considered monsters. Your dwarves, your elves, all these things are some of the beginning stuff that the magical courts and Imperia created to go to war. So think about that for a minute. I'm not punishing them. I'm letting them play shit that players always want to play, but may not get the chance. So you could start as an elf, but once you're marked, you can never gain other marks. Or at least, not as far as the players know. So make it fun, not punishing. So whatever it is you do in your setting, whatever these hooks are, make it something that is enjoyable. That when they achieve these things, they they really like it. That it is something that they look forward to. Um, there's a time and place for fear and punishment, but it should not be a core mechanic of your game. Ravenloft is one of my favorite settings, but the fear, horror, and madness, unless your players are invested in the story part of it, could become very hampering to the players, telling them what they need to do and what they can do based on a save. You had to set some transparency in the beginning and really let them understand this is part of the game to help the setting feel like horror. With that, the last important hook I would say to do is pick your time frame with your ip you may have picked a pre-established one that's already done but if you didn't pick a pre-established one you can decide is this fantasy is this modern is this future or some combination of those a good example of a combination would be horizon zero dawn uh, uh, this combination of technology and 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 being a almost tribal society so think about that and then write a timeline down just write a timeline just you put it zero to ten zero to whatever and then you can Change those year dates, whatever you want, but it gives you an order of process in which things have happened that you can then reference. I definitely recommend doing these, and you can shuffle them around. Use something digital for it. It makes it a little bit easier, or post the notes on a wall. I've done that for video games. So get those important hooks ready and have all this stuff gathered up, because now it's time for us to go look for a map. So let's talk about maps and modding. And when you have your important hooks, you probably have more than one. Make sure that any of those or the IP that you have that would relate to the map, you keep those in mind, write them down as you start to look for a map. So some people can draw maps. I believe anyone can draw a base map. It's, it's not difficult. There's some good videos. Just go to YouTube, how to draw RPG maps. Fantastic Maps has a lot of really good things for it. There are computer programs for it. I'm sure you have a friend that can. When I get a map as a cartographer, it is a bunch of circles, blobs that say forest here, lake here, and it's my job to turn those into something. But as a person playing at a table, it doesn't mean to be perfect. And to be honest, you're not publishing. Cheat. Go find another map. Shit, I've taken Google Maps and drawn over top of them for home games. Find a map online or a random generator online and generate until it has the properties of the first two segments we've talked about. That it has things for your, from your how to start and your IP to your important hooks. Make sure it has And If it doesn't and you see an area where it can go, that's probably fine. Print a couple copies of it, save out that file, and draw the fuck over top of them. That's right. Get out your crayons, get out your markers, and draw on them. Mark the hell out of it. Make it look like a map that someone in the game would have had, and just draw on it until it looks like something that represents what you want. And keep the icon simple. Make a little key off to the side on a note card or whatever for your cities, your capitals, your ruins... Go look them up online and use those if you want. If you're computer savvy, do it that way and put it in Photoshop and layer it over top. It's pretty easy to do um, to get at least an at-home map ready for consumption. 
So either draw it yourself, find it somewhere, or if you want to throw some money around, buy it. There's enough people out there who do cartography that can do you some black and white maps pretty quick. As long as you're not asking for a poster. Poster maps take up a lot of space. Um, and uh, poster maps take a lot of time to draw. So when a, a person who does maps for a living says, eh, I'm not going to do a poster map, but they're willing to draw you another map, keep that in mind. That's probably a good way to go. You could pay somebody to do it. So once you have all that done, get your icons ready and start labeling. Every time you label a section, I believe in the note card method or the file method where if I put something down, I name it something random. There's enough random generators out there. You can just randomly generate cities and names. Make sure your names are themed to the feel of the area on that map. Just look them up. Randomly generate them, write them down, and then write a note on them. And I always say, write what it's about, write a description of what the place looks like, really two, three quick lines. For example, uh, the city of Oton, which we've done in EFP, has a small farming village with a farmhouse that maybe holds eight to ten members, a couple silos, a barn, and then little huts and houses that have been built by the farmhands that work here during the seasons. It's very warm and inviting with a small circular um, town-like feel housing no more than 50 people. Now you got a description and then a secret you put there. The alchemy people who come through here, they buy alchemy from them to uh, pour on their crops to make them grow faster, but it is killing their land. Now you got a secret in case anything ever comes up here. You're done. You just, you just generated an area. So easy that was. So do this over and over and over until at least the area you're starting in has enough info that you can run your game. Pretty simple, right? So that's it for maps. Let's move on to the next part. Outline. Yeah, I know. It's like being in school. But sometimes you got to do the stuff you don't want to make a good setting. So you've done a lot so far. Maybe you've done this over the course of a day, two, week, lunch breaks. But you've gotten your, your theme, your setting down, your IP, your broad strokes. You know the important hooks that make your setting unique. You have an idea of what your map is now. Maybe a rough of it that you're going to... Flesh out once it's a little more. You're starting small, maybe a kingdom or an area, not grandioso. You've given the visual representation of a small area. Now it comes to the outline. And this is where a lot of people, I think, stumble. What to do with all their ideas. And again, cheat. There are people out there who have done wonderful settings over the years. And I believe in looking at the more modern versions because... We improve on things the more we make them. The more RPGs get made, the better the layouts become, the better the understanding becomes. My favorite is when Numenera divided their core book into separate books. It reminded me of the old box sets from Dark Sun where you had the different sections, one for players, one for GM, and so on. I like to keep them separate. Same thing for Numenera. They divided it. And then they did something genius. They didn't change the page numbers. Yeah. So if I'm looking at my core book and they're looking at one of the smaller versions... The page numbers match. 134 is 134, even though that small book may only be 40 pages. So things like that are genius. And when you're doing your outline, look at the table of contents and go, okay, I love how this is laid out. I need all these things. And then when you have that there, when you're zoomed out and looking at it, you can decide what else you need to add that that setting didn't have and what it did have that you don't need. So for this recent one, I, I love Critical Role. I went and looked at the new book that came up, Critical World, for how they set their stuff up. I love Green Ronin's work. And I took their core format for 5e and then copied that layout 
and then re-added things and took things out to make it fit my new setting, to fit Marks of Men, to fit Magic and Monsters. I know that sounds so basic, but a lot of people are wanting to do it all themselves and not follow the people. You learn from other people. Take what they did that's amazing and build upon it. Every video game that we play, besides those milestone-making video games, your, your home campaign doesn't have to be a milestone-maker. It just needs to be what you wanted and what you want to run for your friends. It doesn't need to be the next thing that wins in any. It might be, but not right away. It takes time. So get that outline together, follow it, find your favorite one, and then my biggest thing I tell you to do, get a Google Docs ready. Format it in Google Docs, get your headers all ready, your different title sizes, look through a book and look at how fonts are laid out, what sizes they are, what the headings are. Do that ahead of time, and then lay out your outline and start filling it in. You'll be surprised how quick this goes for you. And when you're to a point where you feel you have a good amount, share it out to your group with comments on and say, hey, comment on these and ask questions so I can fill more out. Please read this. This hasn't had an editor editing pass. If anyone's really good at editing and you like to do that, I'll make it so you can edit as well. I'm lucky enough to have Kelly in my group. She's a great technical editor, editor for a company. She's a great editor for doing this because she games and understands it. So you have an editor in a group. Everyone has that friend who can do grammar and punctuation if you're not it. Even if you are, always have somebody else look over your stuff. You need a second set of eyes. And this Google Docs makes it super simple. Seeing editing in real time, seeing comments go up, really shows what happens with um, a group of people building something out. And now your players are helping you. Think playtest credits, you know? So let them start playtesting and reading over it and getting comments together. And they may give you ideas. Be ready to get ideas for them that you can build into something amazing. Don't shoot things down. You cannot think of everything on your own. Working from video game companies or tabletop companies with teams that are global to just in a city, you learn from others and you're better with the strength of other people. They are going to come up with things that you did not, or they're going to reinvent what you had and make it better. So let's, let's get on to the final part of this, this whole idea of designing a setting. the magic you remember from D&D 3.0 and 3.5 was prominent once again that the items you used to be able to buy on a whim still existed monsters roaming the world become more than just a bestiary coming March 31st is the early release of magic and monsters marks of men a micro setting produced by EFP found on the Patreon site. Eric Frankhaus presents. I hope you join in the beginning of this beta. Comment, love, kill. Enjoy 5e in this magical setting. So that's a little bumper for the upcoming setting and the idea of why I'm doing this. I hope you guys enjoy these fun little bumpers. I really like making them. But let's get into the last part before closing. Mechanics and system. 
This is difficult. You've put all this stuff together. You've done these other four parts, these brief parts I've talked about, to get your campaign and your new setting started. So we got to how to start, important hooks, the maps, and the outline. What fucking setting do you use? This is a tricky one. I don't like systemless that much because I believe that a system is made to enhance a story. And if your players all play 5e, you know, that's a good place to start. Maybe 5e is a great idea. If your group still plays Pathfinder or they're waiting for Pathfinder 2.0, maybe you develop around that. Either way, the mechanics within the system that you pick should enhance your story. For me, 5e was perfect. They upgraded spells. The magical items are abundant. You just couldn't buy them and you were only able to attune so much. It didn't have the depth that I wanted. But it was really easy to pick that up and ramp it up and make magic something else. They I mean they even gave you a save for each stat. Just think about that. We haven't seen that since like first edition. And it wasn't even each stat. It was just a bunch of saves. So now that we have that, I knew I wanted to do something more with it. So I picked 5e for it. It was, it was fitting. And I developed this campaign setting with those kind of mechanics in mind. If you have a setting or a campaign that you want and you love, you love a certain set of mechanics, develop around that. But just remember, sometimes too crunchy is not good for narrative. Too narrative is not good for dungeon crawls. There's a lot of in-between. But bottom line, you should pick what you and your players enjoy and build around it. Enhance those rules that you really like. Make some new ones if needed. Pull some stuff from third-party publishing. TPK Games has put out an entire group of rules for 5e that you can apply to your setting. And it's a really good book. They also put out a feat book. So these are things that you can do to, to build into your setting and make it different than a regular game. Whatever you do, your mechanics should enhance, not hinder, either the narrative or the crunchy. Make sure that they do that. And build in and on those rules. What I mean by that is building within the rules, if you know that a certain rule does X and you want to elaborate on that a little bit because it's an important piece, maybe magic's not so important in yours, but maybe feats are. And you want to make them more important. They train and they get something for doing it. Or maybe in this game it's about thievery and you want to ramp up what thieves can do. And everybody gets the thievery abilities to a certain degree. I did that. Every single human in my game gets magic. Period. I mean, we saw it for years with Drow. Why the fuck shouldn't humans get it? So I did that. And this is how I built out this world. So here's a few mechanical systems you can do just in case you don't know what you want. 5e is a great building point. It's easy to build around. You already know it. We understand it. Pretty simple. The age system, which is the same one that Dragon Age used, D6 system, fantastic. There are some great rules for combat, and actually your roles affecting your RPG as well. Shadows of the Demon Lord, easy system to build around, very flexible, and you could make a lot of really cool tables to customize your races of your game to make it feel different than the regular game. Last... You've got the new Genesis system, which is the same as Fantasy Flight Games' Star Wars. Very narrative-driven. Still combat is important. You can do dungeon crawls. You can go on spaceships. It is a flexible system with narrative at its core. And obviously my favorite, Cypher system. But you've got to be willing to not roll dice as a GM 
and get behind the idea that narrative is God. That's the concept. And it is super fun. So I hope that this helps you in building your mechanics behind your game. Let's get a little bit of closing on you. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode 21 on how to design the setting. Maybe it'll help you in designing your own or just in improving your home campaign in a setting you already play. And thank you to my Patreon members who subscribe to here and share it out. James Lewis, you are awesome. Thank you so much for pimping my podcast and my Patreon on your site. Brian Berg for giving me ideas what to do and and really driving me to go full-fledged into this. And Jay Sonia for always being there as a sounding board. And most of all, well, two things. My at-home group for being willing to try out the craziness that I drive down and try to build and do and them keeping me in check and not going too far. And my girlfriend, who's been putting up with me doing freelance stuff for the last six months. It ain't easy, but I love you for it. To the rest of you, don't forget to call in. If you've got questions, you want to know answers, I'd be happy to do that for you. If there's any topics you want to talk about or have me go over or want to know my opinion, or if there's somebody you want on the show, leave a message. Anchor's a free app. You download it, lower left-hand corner, you hit call in. You just use your phone. There's nothing fucking hard. Super easy. You can find all my stuff on Eric Frankhouse Presents on Patreon. You can also find Eric Frankhouse Presents as my portfolio online. Search for it. It'll come up pretty easily. Remember to share the podcast. And most of all, watch, listen, and learn. Now go roll some dice and share a beer. I'll see you guys all next week. And I have no idea what the topic's going to be.